welcome to the podcast today. This is MOH podcast number 10. Thanks for joining us today. And today we're going to talk about something that uh, was uh, always a very important topic in uh, during the Jesus movement, late 60s, early 70s. This was probably one of the most asked questions by uh, young converts and people with a, a real heart to serve God. The question is, what is God's will for my life? Now, why did people ask that question? They they asked it, I believe, because the gospel that was uh, preached in those days required complete surrender and submission to Christ, um, and it just it just seemed it just was natural, and it was expected that you would want to know what God's will was for your life, and that you would be willing to do it. And so, uh, Winky has a, a series here, a couple tapes that we're gonna we're gonna be uh, sharing with you this week and next week. Uh, on the topic of knowing God's will. And the first one for this week that we're going to be considering is has to do with the conditions of knowing God's will. And then next week we'll deal with the methods of knowing God's will. So for now, we're going to start off with the question of what is God's will for my life? How do I get divine guidance? And the message today has to do with the conditions of knowing God's will. So here's Winky. I think that every person here in training ought to get hold of a manual or at least have access to one to study because this section under guidance is dealt with in great detail in the manual and uh, we're not going to have enough time to go through all the stuff on guidance we need to go through. I'm going to give you a short overall quick course on guidance. First I want you to look in your Bibles please to the book of John the book of John. And chapter 10. Verse 1. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that does not enter by the door into the sheepfold that climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke to them. Then said Jesus to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And then, verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Then verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And we have some words from the Lord himself, and he makes some very precious promises. He starts off by telling us something. He says that when he goes as the shepherd, and he puts his sheep out, he goes there first. Before the sheep 
shepherd goes out before the sheep. So here's a marvelous thing. Anything that Jesus calls us to do, he's already gone there first. He's sort of checked out the way for us first. See that? And then a second marvelous promise is this, that he knows the sheep by name. He knows them by name. So he knows us. He doesn't say, hey, you down there in the Gafe Force, whatever, what's your name again? He says, Phew, and he names you. He knows your name. He knows you personally. He knows each one of us. And that's the marvelous thing about having an infinite mind. You can check uh, all the details about everybody and know them personally and not forget anybody. And then the third promise, and a promise that every Christian has the right, we can know his voice. Now, one of the most exciting things, and probably once you get saved and have given your life to God, the most exciting thing is to know the voice of God, to know how God speaks to us, to know how God can talk to us and show us what to do. And I'm going to give you first a set of conditions without which God will not speak to us. There are some very simple conditions for God to speak to us. And when we talk about knowing God's voice, we're not just simply talking about a voice from the sky. Sometimes God has spoken in an audible voice. There are times when God has spoken to people in a voice, just like a real voice, just like my voice is a real voice. But uh, God does not always speak to people in voices. I have not heard God speak to me in a voice like a human voice. My mother has heard God speak to her in a voice like a real human voice. When she was unsaved, she heard the Lord speak to her like that, and that's how she got saved. And probably, you could say, do you heard that too? But, but uh, I have never heard God's voice speak in that particular way. Not to say that he may not speak to me that way. I'm always open for listening. However, that's kind of a scary thing for me. I'm Mr. Chicken at heart, and I think if I heard a voice nighttime, it may scare me so much I may forget what he asked. <laughs> so I like God guiding me with kinder ways, <laughs> a little nudge ways, and there are a lot of different ways God can speak. We're going to look at some of the methods that God guides, but first of all, I want to look at the conditions without which God will not guide. Some people... Uh, especially young Christians, are worried because they've never heard God speak to them. Now, first get out, out of your head that when God speaks to you, it'll be a spooky thing. A lot of people, like, you know, they have this idea in the back of their mind, if God spoke to me, it'll really be spooky. They've been watching too much uh, candid camera or something, and uh, they expect that if God was to speak, They'd hear sort of this thing. They'd be lying there, praying, and then suddenly they'd hear, John, you know, this kind of thing. That's not... I know God's voice, if he spoke to you, would not sound freaky like that. I'll tell you why in a little while. But I do know there are some basic conditions which must be met, first of all, if we are to know God. And one of the most basic of all the conditions is the desire 
to do what God wants us to do. To know and do God's will. I think if you took care of that first one in your life, you, would, you wanted to do whatever God wanted you to do, and you didn't really care what it was, you'd solve about 80% of your problems and guidance. Most people that I've met that say, I just, I just can't hear God's voice, really, down at heart, they mean this, I wish God would show me some other way to do things. Or, let God tell me what he wants me to do, and then I'll decide whether I want to do it or not. That's the other thing, see? And that simply means this. I don't trust you, God. You may give me something weird. Here's a guy, and he's praying, Oh, Lord, I'd really like to marry some nice girl. Could you please show me uh, which girl you want me to marry? That's funny. No answer. You know, and at the back of his head, this guy has this picture that God is sitting up there listening. And he's listening for this guy praying. The guy says, oh, Lord, I'll take anybody, anybody at all. And they have this picture in the back of the mind that God's sitting there and he says, what did you say? Did you say anybody? You really mean that? Goody, you know, I have this lady that's been praying for 98 years. Oh, Lord, give me a man, you know. I have this lady, see, and she's been praying, Amen, Amen. At the end of every prayer, she's always asking for a man, and that's the one. You sucker, you shouldn't have asked for that. Now you're really going to get it. This poor lady has needed some nice young man to marry, and now you're going to get it. That'll teach you to do God's will. That's a horrible picture of God. I have an idea that if God is going to fix you up, with getting you married off to somebody, he's going to make sure that you're happy about it because he wants you to be happy. If you're unhappy and miserable, then he's miserable. So he wants to make sure you get the right one. And he's pretty good at fixing. I like the one he fixed me up with. I hope she likes me. His <laughs> desire to do God's will. There's a lot of scriptures on this. That the Bible tells us, Hosea 6 and verse 3a, Hosea, there's a good Spanish section of the Bible, Hosea 6, 3, then shall we know, it says, if we follow on to know the Lord. So basically, knowing God's will involves knowing God. And the Bible says you've got to follow on to know him. Christian life is like a bicycle, riding a bicycle. You've got to get on that thing and drive it first before you get guided. So you've got to get yourself in God's hands. You've got to set off and start obeying him in order to be guided. You can't sit there in a car or a bicycle parked on the side of the road and say, why aren't I getting guided? You've got to be moving in order to be guided with God. Now... Basically, understand this, God really is loving and he really is wise. And anything he asks you to do and makes clear to you and plain to you that he wants you to do will always be the best. Sometimes, uh, some people have put off guidance because, I know one guy, he was praying for guidance, he never could get guided, and 
Finally, a guy talked to him and, and went through some things with him, and the guy said, oh, he said, is that what God wanted me to do? He said, you know, I always thought that, but I thought, well, that couldn't be what God wanted me to do, because that's what I really wanted to do. And you get this weird idea that if God guides you, it's bound to be the very opposite of what you've ever wanted to do. See, But quite often, God will give you, put something in your heart. The Bible says that if we uh, trust in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Often he'll put something in your heart, and you'll find it most exciting to do what he guides you to do. That is not to say that always everything that you want to do is what God wants you to do. That's why we have to have some lessons on God. Okay, that's that. Now... Secondly, uh, what I call the love slave lesson. The Christian is a love slave of Jesus Christ. He has no rights of his own. marvelous thing about Christians is they don't have any special categories or classes. There's not super Christians and then Mickey Mouse Christians. There's just Christians, all right, one group of Christians. God doesn't know any... Uh, differences of color or race or, you know, uh, you know whether you're ugly or good-looking. It puts everybody in one big family, and we're all in the same family. And the thing about God's family is that we don't have any rights at all. Nobody has any rights in God's family. Nobody goes around saying, I demand my rights. See, we're a bunch of dead people that God has brought back from the grave. So we have no rights at all. We don't have any rights as to... See, for instance, if you went out in the street and somebody ran over you, wham, killed you dead, what kind of rights does your corpse have lying during the grave? What kind of rights does it Well, I happen to... I would like to sleep tonight in this... You know, what rights does a corpse have? No rights at all. Crucified man doesn't have any rights, and the Christian has given up his rights, so he doesn't frankly care where he goes. He knows he's a dead man on furlough anyway, see? Now, do you understand then that part of the condition of guidance is that you do not tell God what you want him to do for you? You don't come up and you say this, Oh God, I will go anywhere you like except Africa. See? I will do anything this summer at all except stay home. I'm not going to do that. See, you don't tell God that. You, you tell the Lord, I am your servant. I'll go any place you want me to. When God called me into the ministry, I said, I'll go anywhere you are. I'll go to, if you want me to go to Antarctica and sleep in an igloo with an Eskimo, fine. I'll go to Antarctica. If you want me to go to... Uh, Africa and sleep on the floor of the jungle with the snakes and the spiders, I'll go over there, though I won't probably like it. I said, if you want me to go to the Hilton Hotel in New York, I'll go there too. But I'll go any place you want me to go. No rights. When you have a right that you have a problem yielding, you'll probably find three things about it. If you worry about something, that means there's a right that you've not yet yielded to God. And then, if you ever get materialistic about something, in other words, you get greedy over something, that means another right you haven't yielded to God. And if you get angry with selfish anger, not angry for God's rights, but you just get angry because somebody taps you in a certain place that you, know, that you don't like, that's another sign of a right that is not being yielded. So those three signs 
will crop up in your life if there's an unyielded right. You get angry easily over things, you know there's something I have held back from God. Do you see this? And if you're worried about something all the time, that's another sign of a, an unyielded right to God. Deal with those rights. Give them to God. Uh, one of these nights, maybe tonight, we'll show you how to yield rights. To yield rights so that you can deal with glory and stuff like this. The Christian doesn't have a right to be worried. Doesn't have a right to be angry. Doesn't have a right to do any of those things. Love slave. Three. Here's another hard condition. A willingness to be a fool. That's a hard one, you know. Everybody wants to be guided as long as you can be really cool when you're guided. This is, oh Lord, you know, guide me so that people will be able to write a book on my experiences of guidance, you know. And just how marvelous it was when the Lord guided me, you know. And people say, wow, that is so cool that you heard God's voice, you know. He showed you all these fantastic things. What's that God asked you to do something? Everybody says, you dummy. What are you doing that? That is so dumb. I never heard anything so dumb in all my life. That is where the test comes. And usually, God will test you by giving you something to do that doesn't fit in with what a great deal of... But we're talking basically about the non-Christian when we say the willingness to be a fool. Understand, God doesn't ask you to do stupid, silly things just for the purpose of making you look silly. The devil often asks you to do that. Matter of fact, when you're a young Christian, the devil will delight in flashing guidance things into your head to make you rush out and pick up corn and dance around the floor five times and you think this is the Lord and you thought, I'd have done that, you know, what next? You know, and the devil says, all right, rush out on the lawn and roll over seven times and you'll be a good child, you know, and... Young Christians do this for about a month, you know, usually, until they wake up, no, oh, maybe that isn't the Lord after all, you know. Last time I swung naked through the air on a rope over the swimming pool, perhaps it wasn't the Lord, you know. After a while, you get to know, don't think that, that the Lord, every voice that speaks to the young Christian is the Lord's voice. That's why we're going to give you some tests here. But remember, often when the Lord asks you to do something, the selfish world around you will think that is dumb. Now, of all the mature Christians and everybody in the world that is Christian thinks you're doing something dumb, then you better check your guidance thing. But often, most Christians will understand what you're doing if they're real Christians. There are a lot, however, backslidden people that will not understand. A lot of people who call themselves Christian or who are far away from God in their heart God asks you to do something that requires a cost of obedience, and they are the ones who will not understand. They'll come up and say, listen, I it's all right to serve Jesus, but this is a bit fanatical. I mean, can't you do it, you know, in an ordinary sort of fashion? I mean, you have a whole Sunday to do it. Or, you know, this, this is this kind of thing. So the willingness to be counted a fool is a real problem. It may interest you to know, however, that, that the Lord... Uh, doesn't ask us to do silly things. Look in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, 23. Proverbs 3, 23. I'm going to show you basically in guidance now. First look at uh, verse 5 of Proverbs 3. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And lean not unto your own understanding. That carries the idea of your own limited finite reasonings. It doesn't mean don't use your mind. It simply means don't lean on your own thinking. You've got to ask for divine help, see? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And then, at verse 21, My son, let not, this is wisdom, let not wisdom depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall there be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you shall walk in the way safely, and your foot shall not stumble. When you lie down, you shall not be afraid. Yes, you shall lie down, and your sleep shall be sweet. So God says, keep wisdom and discretion. There are some basic scriptures God has given us, and he says, do these things. So I say to you that when you have a clear scripture in the Bible, obey that scripture. You don't need guidance to find out whether you should lie or not. Oh, God, should I lie or not today? You know, just obey the Bible. Dear God, here I am tempted to murder this person. I want to ask guidance whether I should or not. This is really a problem with me. If the Bible tells you to do something, then the first way you have to find God's will is to do what the Bible tells you to do in the circumstances. And if you have a flash feeling that comes on, you feel, I ought to do this, and you know the Bible tells you to do something else, which one do you trust? Bible. The Bible, every time. You see, you've got to go by the Word of God. If, if I'm faced with a tremendously difficult decision, I feel strongly that I ought to do one thing, but the Bible commands me not to. No matter how strong my feeling, no matter how appealing that voice sounds, I've got to stick with the Bible. I have nothing else to do but to go back to that word. Do you see this? All right. Now, uh, let's look at a couple of other scriptures here. Proverbs 4. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. I have taught you, verse 11 of 4, in the way of wisdom I have led you in right paths. When you go, your steps shall not be straightened, and when you run, you shall not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction, let her not go, keep her, for she is thy life. And see in verse 19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. And the scriptures tell us, if we obey the wisdom of God, we will have a great deal of automatic guidance. And God asks us to use our minds. Proverbs 6, 20 to 23. Son, keep your father's commandment. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Tie them on your heart. Tie them about your neck. When you go, it shall lead, keep you. When you sleep, it shall keep you. And when you awake, it shall talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And there's some instructions here uh, for guys to keep away from strange women. So remember that. And then uh, there's a great deal of verses like this. Now, it's important when you read verses like this to see that God asks us to think. And he says, out of this thinking will come our guidance. Some Christians have a funny idea about God. They figure the more spiritual you get, the less you will think. 
And they have this weird idea. If God really gets somebody and they're really spiritual, God has this, eventually gets them to a point where they're just like a puppet, see? And, and a really spiritual Christian goes around and God has strings tied to this person, see? And every time the Lord wants him to say hallelujah, he pulls a string. And he goes, hallelujah, glory, amen, see? And really, some people really think that. The more spiritual you get, the less you think. So finally, we just go around completely spaced out on God. You know? Glory. Amen. See? <laughs> and you'll find some people that you, you'll find there's an increasing tendency in circles for people to, to get into a super spiritual thing. Oh, brother, do not think. This is leaning on your own understanding. And that is bad news, to tell you why. Because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do, not think. If you don't think, you'll happen to break a command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. How many people can you think of now, and I'm running back my mind and thinking of Christians who in their hunger for spirituality finally wound up throwing their minds away? And then got into some super spiritual mystical trip thing and wiped out. I can think of some. I know some friends of mine that got into that kind of thing. And where are they today? They're not serving God. They may have set up a little commune someplace and trying to be holy by living in a hole. But that's not where it's at. So remember that. God has asked us to think a great deal of time. God speaks to us, shows us common sense way of thinking. You don't probably need guidance. Oh, God, I have this desire to jump off a cliff, you know. Is that from you or not? Don't ask freaky questions. But, however, understand this. Not all of the guidance that God gives us is going to sound the logical, right, best thing to do. Sometimes, very rarely, God may come in with his infinite knowledge and show us something that just does not fit at all in what we knew because we simply don't know enough about the situation. Especially, ought you to be careful when there's some particular area where you assume, well, it's fine, i just go ahead and do that, and yet you feel a check inside. Watch out for the logical thing that you feel a little weird about. Now, you girls should understand this a little better. My wife and I, my wife and I uh, were asked to take this trip, uh, the uh, Graham organization for this essay thing we won, and they gave us five different times that we could go on. And one of them was September. Now, I figured, well, you know, I just looked at the thing, and I've never been over to Holy Land or anything before. And I looked and I said, well, September, that sounds the best time to me. Seems all right, you know, because all our camps will be finished, and September will be a good break. We just fly away, and it's before Christmas time, they give us three weeks off. But just felt we should take it to the Lord, because we don't know anything about going overseas, and September might be a terrible time. So I took five different times, wrote them out on sheets of paper, and I took them before the Lord in a method I'll give you a little later. And the Lord very clearly spoke to me and said, May. Now, that, I hadn't even thought about May. May was in two weeks' time. 
We hadn't bought anything, hadn't packed anything, didn't even know we could get on that particular flight. And I thought, my, this is ridiculous. But that's what he told me. You, you know, that you have to be willing. So I called up. I said, uh, is it too late to get on the May thing? They said, no, if you hurry, I think you can do it. So we wrote letters frantically and packed things. And we didn't know what we are doing. We jumped on the plane and headed off. We went on that trip into places that the team at the trip had never been in four years and was never going again. We went into Petra, the lost city, hidden up in the mountains. I said, we've never been in there for four years, but this is the first time the trip's gone in. Because of the war coming up, we'll probably never go in again. So we went into nine different countries. All trips after that cut out all the Egyptian trips because of the war. They just, so that if we'd have gone any other time, after that following thing, we would have missed a great deal of the places that we saw. And then the other thing is, when I got to Israel, I said, is this good time to come? The guy was there, he said, this is the best weather time you picked. He said, any other time it's beastly hot or bad weather. He said, this is the best time of weather. So I thought, hallelujah, you know, we had a wild time there in May. We didn't have a great deal of people. We only had a very small number because everybody was a bit worried about the war and they all cancelled out. So we got a lot of personal attention and people talking instead of, you know, big 300 people wandering all over in the trip and about 20 or something most. And then the funny thing was this. After going on this thing and shooting all our film and all our tape recordings and stuff, we come back and we're sitting there. We're watching the news and television in September. And we went to the Oman Intercontinental Hotel in Jordan. We stayed there for a couple of days while we were looking at Jordan. And we see there on the news the Oman Intercontinental Hotel in Jordan. This is September. Full of bullet holes because the war broke out in September, see? And all the reporters lying on the ground with bullets flying around inside the hotel and they couldn't get out. Nobody would take them out. And that was so cool. I thought, well, I'm glad I didn't go in September, you know. There are some things I don't know, even though that I, <laughs> you know, you think you know all there are is, is to know about a particular thing. But the Lord comes down sometimes and he completely changes things around. I was out in Team Challenge one time, walking along the streets. Now you often go down and witness in different places. And I was walking along the street and I saw a kid standing down the side road. He said, hey, come down here, you know. And I'm all just heading off down there to go down, and the Lord stopped me. And I said, no, come up here. He said, no, no, come down here. And the Lord is just throwing these brakes on inside. I can't, it's just a check inside. I said, no, no, come up here. He said, come down and I'll kill you. I said, oh, glad I didn't come. <laughs> but I didn't know that. This is part of God's intuitive guidance. He can come in and override your limited knowledge and show you this is what it wants you to do. But understand, he never overrides your thinking. He overrides your knowledge. Do you see the difference? Your mind always must be alert. This is the basic difference between satanic deception and Christian guidance. God always gives you time to decide to way to think about it, because he's a gentleman. What does it mean, behold, I stand at the door and knock? It means that God is a gentleman. He never barges in and he never forces. He knocks, he influences, he guides, he directs. He'll throw thinking into you, but you've got to decide on that. You'll see this with the gifts of the Spirit, with anything. There always must be the intelligent choice committed to what God has given you to do. God will never, he respects and prizes your individual free choice. 
The devil tries to freak you out so you're not thinking at all, so you're just going around like an absolutely freaked out person. That's satanic kind of guidance. And you can always tell the difference. Now, let's go on further, friends. Give you a couple more conditions here. A clean conscience from the past. This is very important. Clean conscience. One of the basic reasons why people do not get guidance is because every time they get on their knees and ask God to show them something, the Lord shows them they're supposed to get something right. So while they're down there saying, Oh Lord, you know, should I go to Africa or not? The Lord points and says, Go and apologize to your mother. But Lord, I really asked here about Africa. Go apologize to your mother. But I'm not asking about my mother. Go apologize. <laughs> I hear a little finger pointing up here and you're looking at that finger saying, I'm not really interested in my mother. Go and apologize to your mother. See, there's one thing. Now, if every time you kneel to pray, you only see one basic thing, and it's the same thing coming back all there at the time, then why don't you do that first, and then see if you get any guidance? See? It's a very simple thing. What do you see when you kneel to pray? Now, sometimes the devil can condemn you, and I've got to give you the difference between the devil condemning and God convicting. When God convicts, it is specific, it is one thing, and it is very practical. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, he shows you one thing. He says, this is what is wrong, and this is what you must do, and it'll hurt to do it. Do you see that? But when the devil condemns, it is general. And, and as impact, there's nothing you can do about it. He usually says, see, the, the devil says, you are wrong, 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 wrong. And you've had it, had it, had it, had it. That's what the devil says, you know. The Lord, if he's convicting, says, you are wrong right here, and you better do something about it, see? And this is what you ought to do. See the, do you see the difference? The devil say, wrong, 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 wrong. Don't think about it, you're still wrong. Give up, too bad. See that? What he tries to do is depress you. The Holy Spirit convicts, he condemns. There's the difference between. Conscience must be clean. If God is going to convict you of something, he'll specifically show you what it is and he'll tell you how to do it. Now, it won't mean it'll be easy to do it sometimes. It'll hurt to write a letter sometimes or to do something that he asks you to do, but you need to do that. Now, let me first give you just a couple of guidelines on on keeping your conscience clear. This is not just staying away from sin. This is keeping your conscience sensitive so God can prod you in the spirit and say, uh-uh, like this. Here's a few things you must guard yourself against. Um, keep yourself free from excessive excitement. And... Watch depression. And also watch pride. Now, if you keep your spirit free from those things, 
Excitement is some form of extreme emotion. Watch out for extreme emotion. And that means either very, very deep uh, sadness or very, very surface uh, laughter. Sometimes Satan can play havoc with your feelings. You can be laughing about something and then he can push you further and further and further and further until you're really shallow. And that will injure your sensitivity of spirit. See that? And sometimes uh, you can feel a real burden for something and then Satan can push you down, down, down until he's really depressing you. And you can be so down you, you think, I'll never come out of it. See, that's a satanic attack and you've got to guard your spirit against that. Depression is something that every Christian will run into every now and then. You, sometimes it's simply physical. If you're down, now look, if you haven't eaten for five days, you've been working 24 hours a day, don't come to me asking why you feel depressed. See? I'll probably depress you in a bed with a pillow over your head. See, until you... There are physical reasons. There are... Sometimes depression comes out of sin. But if your heart is clean with God, you've got everything right, you know how and you're depressed and your physical being is okay, then recognize it as an attack from the enemy. And remember what pride is. Can you remember the definition I gave you? Pride is the unwillingness to be... Do you remember? That's right. It's, it's being unwilling to recognize yourself for what you really are in the sight of God. And when Satan attacks with a pride attack, he does two things. He either tries to puff you up or put you down. Puff up or put down. This is the pride of the big wheel. This is the pride of the worm. The puff up one is always subtle to the Christian. The devil never comes to the spiritual Christian and says this to him. You know, well, you're pretty marvelous, aren't you? You're really fantastic. After all, you're Mr. Super Cool. He very rarely comes like that. He says this. God has called you to a mighty ministry, you know. The world will know about your preaching eventually, but, you know, he does this kind of stuff, see. Very spiritual. Uh, the Lord has called you to be the next prophet of the ages, you know. It's all kinds of wild things he'll say to you. After a while, you might believe it. Yeah, isn't that cool? You know, I'm going to be the next prophet of the ages. And then you stand up to give your next prophecy. And somebody says, well, I think that's scriptural. They say, shut up. The Lord told me I'm going to be the next prophet of the ages. You listen. So watch out for this religious thing. See, it'll come. And then the put down thing. Sometimes Satan, sometimes Satan waits until you really had a bad time. You know, somebody, maybe you've been going with somebody and they leave you and, oh, you know, or, you wanted to go someplace and it doesn't come through, blah, and, you know, he just waits until you're down. And then he comes and glass, see, and he says, ah, feel down, right? Right, the Lord has left you. You knew you were going to commit the unpardonable sin one day, didn't you? See, he's really finished with you now. You just pray and see if anything comes. Go on, you just do it. You know, and you're down there thinking, glah, glah, you know, and you pray and nothing happens. He says, see, I told you, God is gone. You've had it now, baby. Why don't you lie down and die? No, better still, go jump off a bridge. That would be a good idea. See, you watch those things. 
And watch especially when you've had a great victory or a great trial, because straight after those two things you can expect a satanic attack. Do you see that? When you had a fantastic victory, you just won 40 people to the Lord in one day after a super heavy witnessing thing. Come back, oh, glory to God. Then the devil comes with and says, I have called you to be the next, you know, prophet of the world. And you are so cool. You say, oh, yes. Wait a minute. What am I saying? You know? And then the other thing is when you've had a real trial and a hassle, then the devil comes up and says, goodbye. You don't miss the chips. You've had it now. There is your thing. Watch out the puff up or the put down, because both are satanic attacks. Usually the devil doesn't bother attacking you when it's just an ordinary everyday day. How do you guard against these two things? The devil comes up to you and says, hey, you're the next prophet of the world. What do you say? What are you going to say? Well, I'm just a worm, I'm just a nothing, and the devil says, all right, I'll try my other tactic, number two, and put you down. You say, praise the Lord for everything that God has done, see? The devil says, oh, that you're pretty marvelous, God has called you. say, well, I, you know, the Lord did all that, see? Just, you praise Jesus, that is the remedy of the puff-up thing. What do you do in the put-down thing? You praise Jesus, too. It's a good weapon, this praise thing. The devil says, you're really not very much. You say, yes, that's true. <laughs> I say, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm supposed to say that. says, ah, but you know what the Lord has called me to be? Called me to be his child, see. And the safest way you can think of yourself is not a wheel or not a worm, but a forgiven child of God. See? You think I'm a forgiven child of God, the forgiven part will help you to remember the pit you came out of so you know you're not the next prophet, see? But the child of God will help you to remember you're not a nobody. You belong to him. You're a prince or princess in the father's family. Okay? That's it. That's clean conscience. Now, cultivate the sensitivity of spirit. Watch out. Guard your life against extremes. Extreme emotions, depression, guard these things. Expect to have them if you're going to be a man or woman of God. Guard your life against them. And here's the last one. Regular time in prayer. And that's the sheet I gave you out. And in the Word of God. That sheet shows you how to get into the Word of God. You must know your Bible. These last section you probably find is your greatest battle. If you went to ask a great man of God, what is your greatest battle? You'll probably find the answer is exactly the same as your question was. Finding time to get prayer and in the Word of God is always the same. I don't know anybody that doesn't have a hassle in finding time to pray and get into his Bible. The devil knows jolly well if he can keep you away from those two things, he's got half the battle one. So he'll work on you all your life to keep you away from those two. So you just come, bring yourself back all the time. Say, so when should I pray? I, I would pray every time. I feel like, you know, there's a problem or uh, something good happening. I just talk to the Lord about it. Bill Moody said, I never pray longer than five minutes. But I never go more than five minutes without praying. <laughs> now, I can't, I don't have time to pray for 75 hours a day. You may have, you know. 
nothing to do but sip lemonade in the sunshine all day and praise the Lord. But usually, you probably find you have 500 things to do. You've got to learn to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean you have people, you know, walking along, oh, glory to God, you know, what did you say, glory? Because it doesn't mean that, really. What it really means is that you never get yourself in a place where you have to change gears in order to pray. You know what I'm talking about? You're messing around. Somebody says, would you pray, brother? He said, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, glory, you know. And see, that's bad news when you have to change gears in order to pray. You ought to be able to, whatever you're doing, to stop, wham, and pray. And that's, your whole life will be, you know, be part of that prayer. You can pray driving along. You don't have to close your eyes, by the way, when you pray. Understand clearly. I don't killing each other in the car. What were you doing? I was praying continuously. Close my eyes and kill somebody. Uh, word of God, just hang in there in your Bible and learn some basics and you watch what God can do with those things. Condition. How are we doing, friends? Got five minutes. All right. I haven't got... I can't do in five minutes what I want to do, so we'll just split this session. Um, let me look at 1 Chronicles 28 with you. Give you a really heavy verse, 1 Chronicles 28. Prayer. Turning prayer. Wanted to sum up the whole of the Christian life. Here's 1 Chronicles 28. Tremendously important verse. There was a man in the Bible who is called the wisest man who ever lived. What was his name? Solomon. There was a man in the Bible who was called a man after God's own heart. What was his name? Okay, here's the advice of a man after God's own heart to the man who is the wisest man in the world. Isn't this a pretty important piece of advice? 1 Chronicles 28. And you, Solomon, my son, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. We're going to talk, spend a whole session on what it means to have a perfect heart called holiness. And with a willing mind. What does a willing mind mean? It means no moans. That's what it means. Oh, God, I'll go to Africa if you really insist. I'm going to hate it all the way, oh, God, but I'm going to go. See, no moans. That's what it means. Willing mind. Can you get that little attitude of the little kid that can scarcely wait to see what happens next? Not this, oh, what next is going to befall me? You know, this thing. For the Lord searches all the heart, and he understands all the imaginations of the thought. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That's a heavy scripture there. It's got a tremendous promise and a tremendous warning. If you seek him, he will be found of you. Now, we have a promise here from God himself. We can come to him and we can seek him. And uh, next, Time we get in the next session, we're going to show you the ways that God speaks 
and how to recognize his voice and the practical methods of guidance. But I want you to look up some of the scriptures on this thing. If you have manuals, look them up, read them through, and carefully go through those five things. I think if you understand and are willing to apply those five conditions, you may not even need the method because God can show you his own method, see? Those are the main conditions. They open up the channels between God and man. Know God. Spend time reading his book so you know what his thoughts are like. Spend time talking to him so you know what your spirit feels like when you come out of God's presence. And these are the things that will help you recognize his voice on every day by day basis. Let's close in prayer, shall we? And then Brother Phil's going to come soon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these heavy promises. You said, if we seek you, then you will be found of us. We praise you that you have promised to speak to us because we are your sheep, people of your pasture. We thank you you're the good shepherd who knows every one of his sheep by name and loves us individually and cares for us individually and wants to speak to us and show us things individually. We thank you that this book of yours can open to our hearts and you can direct us and guide us as clearly as anybody in the Bible was ever guided. We praise you for the privilege of listening to your voice and obeying for Jesus. Amen. All right, so that's it for this week. That's the uh, episode number 10 of the uh, MOH podcast. If you're looking for the, the uh, sheet that Winky was talking about in there, it's, uh, it's called Knowing God's Will. It's available in a link in the, on the podcast here, and it's available on the moh.org website under Discipleship Training Materials. You can just find it there, Knowing God's Will, or you can just click directly to it from the link here. And next week, we'll be dealing with the methods of guidance. So thanks for coming, and see you next week. Mm-hmm.